place it comfortably. So good morning everyone on this crisp morning. The title of the talk today is Reflection and Presence or another way of you could describe it is uh, dual awareness and non-dual awareness. And if any of you are interested in um, reading more about this, a very good, it's a very good uh, chapter in one of John Wellwood's books called Reflection and Presence in his book Towards a Psychology of Awakening. Of course, I'll only give you an explanation of it, not an experience. Um, but it's a good, a good, a very good summary, I think, of um, understanding how Zen practice works. So let's look at it um, so we're a little clearer about what we're doing. Reflection is when we are able to stand back, step back from our experience and, and witness it in some kind of way. Um, whereas presence or unconditional presence is just being the experience. You know, no, no concepts, no ideas stuck to it at all. It's just pure, fully experiencing whatever it is we're experiencing, whether it's walking down the road or swimming or eating an ice cream, whatever it is, just full experience. And um, there's a place for both in practice and in many ways psychotherapy is based on reflection. It's based on that ability to stand back and observe yourself and witness feelings and thoughts and so on and um, understand them more, maybe fix them up even, uh, create meaning out of it. And, um, but in, in, in Buddhist practice, whether it's Zen or Dzogchen in Tibetan Buddhism, for example, um, it's a shift towards um, just being present and non-dual awareness where you're just being the experience. Um, but people often confuse the two and that's why I wanted to talk about a little bit more today. But if we look at this in terms of a development of a human being, you know, from our, from our childhood through to adulthood, children don't have um, that reflective sense or it's not very, very well developed. They're just kind of there playing, doing their thing, running around, laughing, without, without too much self-reflection on self-consciousness about who they are. But by the time we reach around about our, our adolescence, um, we've, developed, we've developed abstract thinking and the ability to actually step back and experience ourselves. And when, as a child, we, we don't have a, we do have a sense of self, but it's not a very strongly developed sense of self because um, we're just doing what we're doing without self-reflection. So what happens is that we kind of, the, all of the ideas and beliefs about ourselves that adults or others in our life have about us, we absorb and we, we, we develop an identity whether it's a, a family identity or a cultural identity, whatever it is. But with, in everyday word, you know, terms, you know, we, we, we pick up these ideas about ourselves. Well, um, you're not, you may not be very pretty, pretty, but you're very intelligent. You're more intelligent than your sister. So that's your identity. You're pretty or you're intelligent, or maybe you're both. Or you're a bad boy or a good boy or a naughty girl. You're always too sensitive or you're angry. 
you know, or you're white or you're black or whatever it might be. You pick up all of these different ideas and all of these representations become your sense of self. And then what happens, we kind of identify with all of that, all of these ideas of who we are, and then we project that onto our life, and that's what we call samsara in Buddhism. That's a delusion um, that we project onto the world. And it brings suffering because we're divided from our life. So um, as we grow up and we, 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 we grow into experiencing dissatisfaction, um, suffering, so on of our life as we get older, we, we all at some stage, well, most people that do at some stage start to reflect and start to think, well, how could I fix that up or what's wrong here? Uh, how can I make that better? And usually the first way we do that is, is a very conceptual way. So it's a very, we start off often with a very, what you could call a very gross kind of dualism, you know, very, it's like there's concepts over here and I'll use the concepts to work out what kind of person I am and how I can fix it up and so on. So we read a lot of self-help books or we read books on philosophy and Buddhism and Zen, you know, and we get this conceptual understanding. And that's fine, that's, that's a place to start, just that it won't take us very far, but a good place to start. And then a more subtle form of dual awareness is mindfulness. Uh, it's where we, we step back from our experience and we observe it and we might label it and so on. Um, but it's still a divided consciousness. There's me witnessing here and that's it over there. Mm -hmm. But it's a good place to start as well, you know, as the, the Buddha said. And he used a wonderful analogy about um, mindfulness as a dual kind of witnessing experience. He said it's, it's using a thorn to remove a thorn. So in other words, you use this divided consciousness to remove the divided consciousness. That's its aspiration. But it's still divided. And, and this is a very, there's a lot of confusion around this in terms of what is therapy, what is Zen, what is mindfulness, what is Zen. All of these, all of the, whether it's mindfulness or whether it's intellectual inquiry, it's all in this, still in this dual awareness field. And it has its place. And in my reading of um, Tibetan Buddhism like Dzogchen, um, I'm aware that people don't just sort of jump straight into non-dual awareness. There's a lot of preliminary training that's required because you need a fairly, I'm using this term in its best sense, you need a, quite a strong sense of ego or quite a strong sense of self you know, to do Dzogchen practice or to do Zen. Um, otherwise, you can just drown in it. And I'm, I'm very, on reflection, um, I'm very pleased that the way um, uh, our ordinary mind Zen group teaching has evolved is to, is to start people off with breath counting, you know, which is a very structured practice. Then doing labelling, which is a kind of a, a dualistic observing practice and then eventually into Kaan practice and Shikantaza which is moving us towards the non-dual 
But if people just try to jump straight into doing shikantaza, just like the Tibetans warn, without all of that preliminary practice, sometimes you just drown in it. You know, you're just flaying around in it and, and getting lost in delusion rather than, you know, developing clarity. But ultimately, <clears throat> um, our practice is about cultivating this non-dual awareness. So what, what it means is, it's nothing special really, but it's about whatever you experience, it's like you become curious towards it, you acknowledge it, and you just allow that energy or that pattern of energy to go through you. Right? Now this is very interesting when it comes to practicing the precepts as well, because on the one hand, we need the precepts as kind of guardrails in our deluded life so that we don't create harm and suffering in the world. So that there is restraints, you know, like not to steal, not to lie, etc. Um, but in the way that we meditate, um, it, it's 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 relating to those pre those precepts in a in a non-dual way. Like in, in, in our meditative experience or in everyday life, while we've got the guardrails in place, we're allowing ourselves to go to that place where we really experience what it's like to be angry, for instance, you know, or, or the desire to want to lie or manipulate or whatever. And instead of going, oh, that's not me, I'm a, I'm a good person, that doesn't fit with my identity, we do something quite radical here, um, and it takes a lot of courage to do it. We okay, go, okay, so um, a resentful feeling really comes up. So let me just be resentful. Let me just experience what it is to be resentful, including all the thoughts that go with it. Let's just flow with that energy and be fully resentful. Right? And uh, the paradox is, this, this is not just the same as fa having a revenge fantasy, for instance, or resentful fantasy. It's quite different. Because when you, when you fully turn up to the experience, um, you're really engaged in the emotion and the feeling, and, and, and it's got a transformative effect. Um, and uh, if we do that over again with all of the, the dark aspects of our experience, then we overcome our aversion to them, and I, I don't, I can't fully explain how it happens. But um, by that, that fully experiencing those dark sides of ourselves, something transforms in it. We no no longer have an aversion to it, or we're grasping at it. It's just, it's just there. It's just energy. And on the other hand, if we if we take up the precepts, thinking oh, I'm becoming a good person. You know, and we fixate on an identity of being good and how I'm so nice and, you know, accommodating and kind. That's just another identity. You know, it's a, and, and, it's, and it's just a false identity, really, um, because it's just another, another fixed idea of what we are. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not suggesting either when we do this that we just go after looking, looking at our dark side all the time. You know, otherwise that becomes just another fixation. Um, you're just there with your experience and whatever, whatever arises, arises. 
if I'm calm and things just are pleasant and, you know, no drama, fine, just be that. Um, if I hear a pleasant noise like a magpie singing, fine. Truck rumbles by, fine. And then I have a dark thought, a resentful thought, fine. Just whatever it is you fully turn up to. And if you do that over and over again, that's what makes the shift from this dual awareness to the non-dual awareness. And that's where the real, um, the real transformation in practice then begins. Um, it's very different. It's, it's, a, it's a quite... It, it is, I want to emphasise this is quite radical, really, when you think of it. Um, because our, our conventional everyday lives is about being good um, and doing the right thing and so on. And, um, and people, most people find it really difficult to actually be present with any of their negative emotions or negative thoughts. People learn to do that to some degree through psychotherapy, which is beneficial. Um, but this is taking it even a step further. It's the difference between being awake and being woke. <laughs> so when you're woke, and, and this is where the term arose from, it was actually it was a, um, a black African um, concept, and it was like it was a warning, like be woke, like be be awake, be be aware of the deception of white people, right, and how they try and identify who you are, like be woke, man. And that's where it came from. So its focus is on about watching out for the deceptions of others, you know, which is a useful thing to do because you don't want um, other people defining who you are, right? Um, but when, we, when we're committed to Zen practice and, and meditation and the precepts, when we're, not, we're not turning up to look at how we're deceived by others we're turning up to look at how we deceive ourselves. Right? And that's the difference. And if you turn up to really examine how you deceive yourself into some idea of being good or bad or whatever it might be, all of these identifications you have and you see through them, then, then something spontaneous can arise that's about being genuinely inclusive of everything in others, do you know? It's not just an idea or an ideological idea or a self-righteousness that comes with it. You, you turn up to looking at self-deception, you know, and, and you cut through all of the self-righteousness, you know, and the virtue signalling that comes with wanting to be a good person. So it's a difference between the two. So... I'd encourage you to, to practice. You know, sometimes your practice is a, a breath-counting practice and stay with that mainly or it's labelling. But even for all of us now and then, you know, as we mature through practice, is just, just be willing to be the energy that's going through us, you know, without, without any ideas of whether it's good or bad or whatever. When I first started practice, in Kyoto in Japan as a, as a young man who was about 25 um, looking back at it I had a what you might describe as a very um, 
that's a that's an old Freudian term, but a, a very strong superego, you know, like a very strong sense of consciousness and trying to do the right thing. And when I started Zen meditation, you know, I was sitting there, and I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't keep going, thinking good thoughts or you know, um, feeling guilty, or whatever. I just had to be with experience as it was. And, and, and I thought, oh, my God, if I do this, I'm going to become a psychopath. <laughs> because all these restraints will be gone and my mind will be just so free to, you know, to think, oh, God, you know. And, um, well, to this day, no-one's diagnosed me as a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I am, but I've got, got those elements. But I stayed out of prison, you know. <laughs> I don't cheat on my taxes or things like that. So. But, but that's the kind of... That's the courage that's required to do this. You know, if you if you go in and you just be the anger, you know, or or the stinginess, you know, or the self be the self righteousness, just experience what it's like. It goes against all our kind of conditioning. But it's so so liberating to actually go there. But you do need it, it, this, in a sense, is why you do, you do need, in, and I'm using the term in a certain way, you do need a solid sense of self. You need to be grounded in yourself to be able to do this. And if you imagine you're, you're a very, very emotionally fragile person, to ask someone like that to do this would not be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it requires a certain groundedness, resilience, being grounded in your body, um, having a strong backbone, soft belly, all of those skills that we develop lead to actually developing more of this non-dualistic awareness. But if you'd like to read about it more, read read John Wilwood's chapter on reflection and presence, I'd recommend it. Um, But as I said in the beginning, it's only an explanation. Mm-hmm. It's the map, it's not the territory. And then let go of all of that. Let go of all the thinking and the philosophy and the same words and just enter. Enter freely into whatever experience it is that you have. Thank you.